Why don't we stand and read scripture together? So we'll read uh, Luke 1, 26 to 35 and uh, John 3, 16. Let's read. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled by his greeting and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Uh, John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Blessed be the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Lord, we come together as a family, um, and we just ask that you speak to us. Lord, let your truth reign in our hearts. So Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. In Jesus' name. So this is the second week of Advent at Trinity. And uh, the word Advent simply means... Uh, uh, it's simply about anticipation of the arrival of something big. And uh, a couple of weeks leading up to Christmas, the church across time and across the globe would um, observe what we call Advent, which traditionally is just about the church focusing on the anticipation and the expectation of the coming of Jesus in his birth and the anticipation and the expectation of the return of Jesus in his second coming. As a church community, we've been focusing on the name of God, the name Yahweh. Uh, the name which he said, by this name you will know me forever. His name reveals his identity. Unlike nowadays where a name seems like a, uh, like a label, names in scripture, or, you know, the culture from which we get scripture, said a lot more than, than a label. They said something about uh, the person's identity and character. So God's name reveals his identity and character. His name also sets him apart from all other things called gods and all other ideologies that people could worship. That's why I've kept repeating the phrase, when you say, I worship God, which one? So his name sets him apart. Because the word God is a title that can be used for, uh, for so many things, some that are actually real spiritual entities and some that are just ideas and ideologies that people actually worship. The reason I've, I, I, I've, I've been saying that the reason this is important is because God is knowable. The God who is inviting you to him is knowable and he wants you to know him 
and he also wants to know you. That's the whole deal. He's not distant. He's not quiet. He's not far. He's not uninvolved. God wants you to know him and for him to know you. And I'm hoping that this will sink from our heads to our hearts. Because Kenya is a very, very religious country. So sometimes we know these things and we say them out loud, but it doesn't really sink into our hearts. God is knowable and he wants you to know him and he wants to know you. God wants us to know him more than just, oh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of John, Peter, and James. He wants to be your God. He's writing a story, and we can see the story in Scripture, and he also wants to write a story with you. And also, God wants you to know him and to be known not just as your God, but indeed the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, James, Peter, and John. Here's what I mean. You see, there's a personal story you're invited to by this God. Yet it fits into the larger story that, uh, that God has been writing. Sometimes, the, the, the danger is sometimes we think, when we think God is just uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, James, Peter, and John, there's a distance. And so he's not my God. What happens is you begin to feel there's no room for you. You begin to feel, oh, those are the stories of those people. If you think about uh, something that's happening quite a lot in Africa, because a lot of missionary work was done by, uh, from the West, now people are beginning to say, oh, Christianity is a, is a religion of white people. Why? Because we, we, we have missed the point that God wants to know you personally. It's not a story of the Bible. It's not just a story of the Bible. It's not just a story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's also your story. But equally very dangerous is when we think it's just my story. And so I begin to to have an idea of God that is completely uh, disjointed from the story of Scripture. I begin to create God in my own image and likeness. That's also dangerous. Your story is not uprooted from the story of Scripture. So we must find a way to, to, to enter into this invitation properly. One of the ways you see it is people uh, would sometimes open scripture and pick promises. You know, I've, 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 I've been saying the last couple of weeks that God keeps his promises. People open the Bible and pick promises that have nothing to do with them. And they go, oh, God said this is for me. I'm like, no, he, he was telling that to Moses. That has nothing to do with you. Why? Because now we're making it our personal story. The question is, who is God and what does that mean for me? The other reason that's important is sometimes we, we, we miss the, whole, the bigger picture and we go, well, God promised me a job. Did he? Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't care. And I actually believe that sometimes we receive prophetic words that are, that, are, that are tailored for us. But be careful if those are not rooted in the story of God. And that's why it's important to learn how to discern prophecy, how to discern the voice of God. When someone just comes and says, oh yeah, you'll get a job next week. Well, 
how do you tell? Is this the Spirit of the Lord speaking? How do you work through the tensions of the things you've expected and haven't come through? That's why it's important to realize he is not only the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's also your God. But he's not just your God. He's also the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's one story. So, we've been looking at the character of God and how he revealed himself. Because he reveals himself through the story. We, we, you know, I kept saying we know people by name, character, and story. And the Bible is primarily the story of God. And he says his name outrightly and says, this is the name you'll know me by from generation to generation. And then one day, uh, Moses asks him, show me your glory. And God proclaims his name. He tells him, my goodness will pass before you and I will proclaim my name. What God is saying, I will tell you my very character that is carried in my name. Here's why that's important. Sometimes God is actually saying that this is how I want you to know me. And so when we look at the stories of scripture, every time the writers of scripture wanted to describe the character of God, they would go back to Exodus 34, 6 to 8, the one that we've been reading all through this time. Every time they would think of God's character, they would go back here. And so this is ground zero for a theology of God. Sometimes we are stuck with ideas about God that are probably true, but they're not the central thing. People, when, when in, our, in our generation, when you, think, uh, when you ask people to talk about God, they would say things like, oh, he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he's everywhere at the same time. And it's not that those are untrue, they're simply secondary. They aren't the primary way God wants us to know him. He's healer, he's provider, true. But he's all those things flowing from the core of who he is. And if you ask him, who then are you? We find Exodus 34 verse 6. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. Maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, sin, and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth. This is how God wants us to know him. As gracious and compassionate. Slow to anger. Abounding in covenant keeping love. Forgiving God. Forgiving us. That is how God describes himself. So then Jesus comes into the scene and a young woman is told that the, the, that the baby you're about to have will be called the son of God. Okay, so this has been an ongoing series for quite a few weeks and I would encourage you, if, it, if it's interesting, go back to the podcast because there are a couple of things that at the moment will, will seem to be jumping at you from nowhere, but it's, it's an ongoing stream. We encountered that phrase, the Son of God, before. It, it appears a lot in Scripture, and we looked at Psalm 82, where God is specifically talking to people, uh, to, to 
beings called the Son of God. And one of you asked a question that talked about, uh, that, that reflected on Jesus calling himself the Son of God. This is a very specific phrase. It's not, it's not just in the same way we say we are children of God. When scripture talks about the Son of God, they're talking about spiritual beings that are real, with authority, with power and dominion. So that's what the angel is telling Mary. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and your child will be called the Son of the Most High. This will be just another baby. And then John 3.16, Father clarifies that. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That phrase that is interpreted one and only son, uh, some of your, uh, some of your um, translations are now translating it to unique son of God. Why? Because through this series we've encountered that there are other beings called sons of God. So what makes Jesus stand out is that he is the unique son of God. Other phrases used for that is the begotten son of God. The difference was, as Paul would later write to us, is that this son of God was one with God. When, when Paul describes Jesus' humility, even to go to the cross, he says, even though he was equal to God, he did not consider it a big deal to humble himself. This is the difference. This is what we've been reading all this time. Behold, this child will be called the Son of God. We're talking about the unique Son of God. This one is different. This one is the one who comes to fulfill the promise God made. You know, I've, uh, and, and, and John 3.16, when he says God so loved you and me, it's not... It's not just warm fuzzies, oh, I love this person. It's about the promise-keeping love of God. His commitment to, to, towards us, his commitment to the promise. That's the kind of love that, that John 3.16 is talking about. Deep affection that compels you to remain faithful to another regardless. That's the way God loves us. Deep affection towards us that compels him to remain faithful to us regardless. God's love is a promise-keeping love. And at this point of the story, Jesus is being born. It is a continuation of where we've been. God is about to keep his promise because he's a promise-keeping God. That's why we have this encounter today. And what was the promise? To save humanity and to restore humanity to the blessing he was created for. You and I were created to be image bearers of God in order for us to be a blessing to creation around us. And God swore by himself to save humanity and restore humanity to that blessing. And this is what Christmas is about. That God still keeps his promise. So Mary receives the news. The news is that this baby will be the fulfillment 
of God's promise, the Savior of the world. I want us to keenly note that the birth of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus are all about the same thing, the fulfillment of the same promise. Okay, it's been a long series. And there's so much that's been said. Some felt uh, like, uh, you know, theological heavy lifting. If you forget everything, I want you to remember this one thing. God keeps his promises. And God will keep the promises he's made to you. If you forget everything. Christmas planning has started, travel planning has started, um, you know, carols are filling our, our heads and ears. If you forget everything, remember that God keeps his promises. Our communion liturgy says Christ is born among us, Christ is crucified among us, and Christ rises among us. Why? Because this is how God fulfilled his promises. And especially if you've been struggling, especially if, if, if as the year ends, you're just thinking this year has had a lot of loss. Especially if you're hanging on to faith by a thread, you're just going, what is this even about? Especially if, if you're at, at your wit's end, especially if you feel done, I want you encouraged as, uh, uh, before you leave this place. God keeps his promises. It's on him. It is on him. The end of the year is, is usually a weird time. We celebrate, but we're also taking stock. And sometimes people end the year thinking, what is this even about? This is about a promise-keeping God. John 21, 25. Jesus did so many things as well. If every one of them were to be written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. This is a disciple of Jesus reflecting on his, his life with Jesus. And this is one of the ways he ends his, his gospel. He's telling people, listen, it's not so much about how many books that, there, that would be written. He's actually just saying, there's so much Jesus did amongst us. We didn't tell you all of it. And all of it was just amazing. He's referring to the healings Jesus did, the, the casting out of demons that Jesus did, the raising of the dead. He's referring to everything good that Jesus did. There's a Swahili song. Uh, uh, well, it was back in my day. I don't know if it's still going around. Popote alienda, alitenda mema, right? This is basically what John is saying, that everywhere Jesus did, he did wonderful, wonderful things. But miracles themselves weren't new to these people. There were so many people who claimed to do miracles. Casting out of demons wasn't new in the area. There's so many people who claimed to cast out demons. What was the difference? That as Jesus did them, he reflected the character and the image of God. That's the difference. Even today, so many people claim to cast out demons. So many people claim to heal the sick. And some of them are not even Christian, right? 
What was the difference about uh, uh, that, that Jesus made? He was reflecting the character and image of the living God. Everything he did was burst out of compassion. You know, I want to give two examples. Um, one day Jesus was entering a city and, and um, a centurion, a Roman, a, a, a Roman soldier with, a, with quite a high rank, uh, came to him and said, my slave is very sick and I love him and he's about to die. And then Jesus turned around, changed the whole program he had and started going towards this man's health. As if he had, nothing, he had not planned anything to do that day. Jesus was never busy to show compassion. Everywhere Jesus was asked to heal, he did. And he would turn around everything in his day to show compassion. Remember I said that the, the word compassion sometimes is translated to mercy. And it is that emotion that, that a parent has towards the child. Who here that is a parent would be called in, in light of uh, their children being in danger and wouldn't drop everything? You would. That's how Jesus acted. He was so compassionate, he would drop everything to go heal the sick, to go raise the dead. This guy said, oh, no, 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 I, I respect you so much. And in, 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 my, in my military uh, uh, training, you shouldn't come to my house. So Jesus just speaks a word and that uh, boy is healed. Then not too long after that, Jesus is entering a different city and there's a, there's a procession of, uh, a burial procession. There's a, a, a woman who's lost their only son. Even to this day, we just know that the bond between mothers and their sons is incredible. <laughs> My, uh, one day uh, on the church page, uh, something was posted and there was a picture of me and my mom. Uh, uh, posted something because she follows us. Said something like, uh, "Asante sana baba" or something. You know. Oh yeah, I'd made a comment about us going into prayer for, I think at the beginning of the year. And she goes, "Asante sana baba," and I'm just like, "Mom." <laughs> you know, that's what you text me. That's not what you post, right? Because people out here really respect me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but the point is. There's just something about a parent's love. Jesus stops the whole procession. This is what he says. Luke 7, 13. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. And said, do not cry. Everything Jesus did was out of a heart overflowing with compassion. Why? He was a reflection of Yahweh. He was trying to show people this is how God loves us. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He's saying, hey, God is so compassionate towards all of you and it moves him to action all the time. And even today, if you ever wonder 
What God feels about you, it's mercy, it's compassion. If you ever wonder what God's intentions are towards you, it's always grace. There's a song I, I, I really enjoy. It has a line that says, I trust your heart and your intentions. You know, the truth is sometimes the world feels so convoluted and because we know God is in control, we're not too sure if we can trust God's intentions. If you ever wonder what God feels about you, it's mercy, it's compassion. If you ever wonder what God's intentions are, towards you it's grace you can trust god's heart and his intention towards you and everything jesus did he's born amongst us lives amongst us crucified amongst us dies amongst us and is risen amongst us everything jesus did flowed from the essence of being one with the Father, and the whole idea was to reveal the very character of the Father. One of the things that made the Pharisees very, very upset with Jesus is that he would forgive sin. He would meet people and tell them, your sins are forgiven. You see, the thing is, the Pharisees knew, like we've been talking about, that only God forgives sin. So they were very upset with Jesus because he's saying he is God. That's one of the reasons they were very upset with him. But they were missing the point. Jesus wasn't just doing these things to show off his power. Jesus wasn't doing these things just because he can. Jesus was doing these things because this is who he is. And they're missing the point. And the point was... He forgives. They were too proud. They were too caught up in their theology. They were too caught up in, in winning the day that they missed the most important message. That the weight they had on their shoulders of sin and wickedness and rebellion in their own lives, Jesus could forgive. I think even today, some of us still let pride be the reason we will not receive forgiveness. It's not because there isn't one to forgive us. Some of us let, let, are, are too proud to admit that we don't have it figured out. Yet we've tried. For church folk, some, sometimes we pretend we're infallible, we have no sin to confess, and so we hide behind our amens and hallelujahs. For those who don't follow Jesus yet, we, we pretend that, that our life choices um, are working even when we know that they've left us hopeless. Don't miss the most, one of the most important messages that Jesus was giving. I forgive sin. I forgive sin. Remember, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in covenant love. He's a forgiving God forgiving us. This is exactly what Jesus was putting on display. Let's not miss that out. 
And just before Jesus was crucified, he gathered his disciples and hear his, the prayer he's making to them, uh, making over them. I have, this is John 17, I'll read verse 6 and verse 11. So, so Jesus is now praying. What does he say? I have revealed your name to the men who you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have followed your word. I am no longer going to be in this world, and yet they themselves are in this world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you gave me, so that they may be one just as we are. Do you see what a big deal the name of God is? He's standing in front of Jews, and they know exactly what he's talking about. When he says, you gave me your name, they know exactly what he's talking about. So let us not miss the point. And one of the things Jesus is saying, I came, one of the reasons he came is to reveal God's name. I have made it visible. I have manifested your name. And, and the name of God says what is true about his character. So what is Jesus saying? I have manifested compassion. I have manifested grace. I have manifested forgiveness of sin. I have revealed true love and faithfulness amongst your people. This is the invitation. The name of God is a big deal. But not... It's not just that it is a big deal, but there is power in the name of God. What does Jesus pray? Keep them in your name. Keep them by your name. Because this is what will make them one just as we are one. The name of God has power. This is the invitation. And here, I, I just want us to remember, it's not so much, knowing the name is great. Last weekend, I started telling us, knowing the name is great, but that's not enough. We need to truly know his name. We need to truly know him by his character. It's not about having a religious phrase that we finish our prayers with. In the name of God or in the name of Jesus, I pray. It's not so much about that. It's about trusting that he is who he is. Will you receive God's name? Will you believe, will you dare to believe that God wants to be known by you? That God wants to know you? Will you dare to believe that God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in abounding love, full of forgiveness to you. I'm going to call the band back on stage as I finish. How did I do, Chris? Great. <laughs> what does this mean for us? One, that Jesus is full of grace and truth. That's how John described Jesus, and he used words lifted right of, out, out of Exodus 34. You can trust 
Jesus to be gracious to you. And you can trust that Jesus is full of truth. If there is anything that is truly real, then let's look for it in Jesus Christ. The reason we choose our way often over what God says, the reason we choose our, our definition of what is good and evil, the reason we choose to live life the way we want to is that because we truly don't trust that God is good. And that's not just to people sitting there. That's also me. The, the, the core problem of sin is a question of trust. Because we haven't truly trusted that God will keep his promise. So to take God at his word, I am inviting us, all of us, not to look at the world, at our flesh, or the lies of the enemy to define what is good and what is evil. Instead, to take God at his word because he is truth. Even when it feels hard. Two, he's a forgiving God forgiving us. You can trust that Jesus is lifting off the burden of your sin. If we're very honest with ourselves, the weight we often carry is of the things we think we could have done better. The weight of sin is so heavy. And it keeps some of us running, trying to please God, trying to please people, trying to make things right. And Jesus is inviting you to first stop at his And say, lift this burden off of you. And he can. We can truly cast our burdens on him for he cares. But it's more than just being forgiven of sin. He can truly transform us to be a people for whom sin is not attractive. You know, I look back. At who I have been before, and I go, who was that? There are things that no longer even interest me anymore. And then I look at who I am now, and I go, Lord, you've made a promise. Because through scripture, I can look forward to who I am called to be and say, you know what? You've called me that, and I believe you. Finally, he loves you. God does truly love you. God does truly care for you. You are the object of his affection. Why don't you stand? Our prayer teams are going to come up front. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray with you. I want to bless and release us. The band is going to keep leading us in worship. And I encourage you, remain in your Father's presence. It's not on you. It's on Him to visit you. 
All we have to do is open ourselves up and say, Lord, I'm here. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God. Your heart for us is mercy and compassion. Your thoughts for us are always gracious. And so, Lord, I ask that you lift from us the burden of doubt, the burden of sin, and the encouragement we could trust you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would you would revive hope in any of us who wake up losing hope and trust that in you love has truly come to us. Hello. This is Edgar King. I am the lead pastor of Trinity Divinity Church in Akuru. Well, the year has come to an end. And I just want to say thank you so much for being part of our journey and allowing us to be part of your journey through the year. Have a Merry Christmas and a fantastic New Year. Let me just pray a blessing over you. May God bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. May the Lord give you favor and peace. See you again next year.